Thanks for joining us at Faith. We hope the message you're about to hear encourages your day and draws you closer to Jesus. If you'd like to join us for service or find out more about the church, visit faith.church. That's faith.church. Just welcome everyone that's joining us online, our church family. We love you. You're part of us. We're so grateful for you. But yes, today we are starting a new series, and, uh, and, and it may not provoke feelings of excitement. Many times when you hear the word church, which the series is called Churchology, you might think, okay, I think I'm going to nestle in and just kind of get a good nap in. But I want, to, I want you to hang tight today, because a lot of times when you hear church, it doesn't provoke feelings of excitement and vision and mission and power and authority. It actually provokes maybe feelings of boredom, maybe feelings of pain because you've been hurt by church, maybe feelings of, of, of a building or a steeple or a, or a denomination. Maybe for some of you, because I am in this position, it provokes feelings of nap time because I can see you during some of the sermons here today. That was funny. But when I look at the Word of God, I don't find the church being described as something that's weak. When I look at the Word of God, I don't find um, it, the focus on, on all these types of things. I don't find it that it's weird. I don't find that it's somber. I, I, I don't find that it's that's a place to be bored at. I don't find the function of the church or the purpose of the church to be something that, that is like, oh, okay, church. It's actually the contrary. When I read about the church in the Bible and the church of Jesus Christ, it doesn't look like any of that. It is, it, in the Bible, it's nothing less than a group of believers on fire with the mission and the vision of God to confront the works of the devil in darkness with the gospel of Jesus Christ and with their lives wherever they are to serve and to go in the world. And what I realize is even when I mention the word church, there is a psychological disconnect with, oh, this is not going to be very good because of how we've been trained about church. But I believe that God wants to do something in our midst regarding church, regarding our church. And so I want to, I want to introduce this series today and I want to be clear that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ has nothing to do with what I want. And this may be shocking, it has nothing to do with what you want either. The church of Jesus Christ is to be obsessed with what Jesus intended the church to be. It's to be obsessed of what, of what Jesus intended, his blood to actually purchase and create and call us and anoint us to be in the world that he's called us to be in. And many times, that's what we miss. I believe through this series, God wants to dismantle the structures of man-made religion in our minds. He wants to remind you of why he called you, why he saved you, the purpose of, of why, why he, he, he went after you and convicted you and you gave your life to him. And he said, I've got a purpose and a plan for you. And somehow we think that purpose and plan has something to do with how we view church, which is boring and weird and docile. That is not a believer of Jesus Christ according to the Bible. And so God wants to reshape some things. And I believe that God wants to remind us of what he longs to do through us and through us as a church 
as a local church in this season and this hour that he's called us in. God wants us to, actually God wants to call you and us together out of mediocre, mundane, going through the motion, passionless, visionless, missionless, with a, uh, living a, a church life of a soapbox, self-centered emotions, small-mindedness, just, just getting by in our Christian life. He wants to move us from a survival mode and move you and us as a church to the great call of God's kingdom that moves us from mediocre to exceptional, that moves us from mundane to imaginative, that moves us from, from, from not having a, a vision and, or, and, or just a vision to get us through the day, to move us to a mission and a vision that propels us and your children and your family for the rest of your life. He wants to move us from a mission that is centered on us and centered instead of and center it around the great commission that focuses on the victims of the enemy and the thousands and the millions around us who need what we have. God wants to move us from us living our lives from limitations with what we see and what what we are always confronted with to move us from that to being and living our lives as a church from his limitless resources to do and to be what he has called us to do and to be. Amen? This is not going to be a boring series about the church. This is going to be empowering to us. God wants to remind us that he's given us, I want you to hear me today, one life to live. You have one life, one chance to stand even though everybody else sits. One life to allow him to build his church through us. Listen, Jesus did not save you just for you. He saved you and called you first to be part of his family because he loves you. And then to a local church that we as a body together fulfill his purpose for us, through us, for his life, for his kingdom. So I want to begin this series that I've titled Churchology. I made it up and I thought it was super clever until I Googled it and everybody else has done the same thing. So I'm not that clever. But I want to begin this as, as I call it Churchology, but the kind of the subtitle is this. A study of the hell-crushing, world-changing, life-altering, light-shining, bold-as-a-lion, unstoppable church purchased by the blood of Jesus. And and the concepts of what I'm sharing today, because this is kind of the foundation of the whole series, it's not an original idea from me, though God has given some illumination to the Word of God. And to clarify, there is is new, excuse me, there is no new revelation, and I don't be shocked, but there is new illumination to the Word of God. He shines His light and you see it in a different way. There is illumination to the Word of God. And so this isn't new, this was, would also be embraced by my professor Van Gill, be um, embraced by Dr. Michael Heiser, be embraced by Ray Vander, Vanderlyn, and all these, all these other church fathers actually. What I'm sharing with you today is something that's very empowering. I want to begin by looking at 
the first time the word church was mentioned in the Bible. The first time it was mentioned comes from the mouth of the one who started it. Comes from the lips of the one who paid for it, who the founder of the church, the head of the church, which is Jesus Christ. As we come to the passage to begin this series, I, I just want to set the con- context to it. Jesus has been ministering throughout Israel. He's been healing the sick. He's been casting out demons. He's been raising the dead. He's been challenging the man-made oppressive religious system of Judaism. He's been teaching his disciples what they are called to do. In Matthew 10, Jesus calls his disciples to go out and do all the things that he's been doing. To go out and declare that the kingdom of God is at hand. Meaning that Jesus, their savior, as a Jewish people, is in their midst. They've been waiting on Jesus, and he's here. The kingdom is here, but also to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse lepers, to cast out demons. It's all in Matthew chapter 10. But what people miss, often out of Matthew 10, the context is that the disciples were to only go and do those things to the lost sheep of Israel, meaning to Jews and to Jews only. Scripture says that that the gospel came to the Jews first. Matter of fact, the gospel was only preached in Israel up until when Stephen was stoned out of Matthew chapter 7 and killed and the high priest rejected the message. And then the next event in the kingdom of God is Jesus appears to Paul and then Paul begins to take the gospel to the Gentiles with the other disciples as well. So this is, the, the, the Jewish people are very important to God. He, he promised that he would come to them first as the Messiah, and he does. And we see them preaching the gospel. We see them doing what he's called them to do. But it was only to the Jew. And so the disciples were instructed, don't go anywhere where non-Jews are. Don't tell anyone about me unless they're Jewish. But now we come to a shift in what Jesus had said. We come to Matthew chapter 16. Now listen, this is a critical moment. And I'm gonna, I, I want to walk through this kind of quickly. And some of this you might think, wait, well, what's going on here? You'll get it at the end, I hope. We come to Matthew chapter 16. And this is a critical moment, friends, in the church. This is, this is foundational. And what we're about to read has incredible implications for understanding who we are. And what we are to do as believers and members of a local church. And so, Jesus takes his disciples in the beginning of this passage that we'll read in just a moment to a very strange but very significant place. A very interesting geographical location. And what Jesus says here will set the stage for the function of the church We'll set the stage for our series as well, but that he was going to birth his church from what he's talking about for the purpose of what he's going to talk about from his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So we come to Matthew 16, starting in verse 13. Now, when Jesus came to the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets, or one of the prophets, he said to them. But, okay, thank you, that's nice, 
but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. This is a foundational passage for the church. And I want to lean into, into this today because I believe that God wants to speak through it into your life today. So before we go any further, I want you to understand there's a context of what's happening here with Jesus. There's a context. There's a geographical context you must catch that a lot of people miss. And he has brought his disciples to this area called Caesarea Philippi. It's located, I want, I want you just to, to paint a picture, it's located at, it kind of nestled in the, in the base of this mountain called Mount Hermon, or another pronunciation, pronunciation is Hermon. And this, this region, I want, you got you to stay with me for a second. This region was directly related and known in the Jewish world as the demonic geographical location of evil spirits. I want you to re remember this. The place in which Satan and the other fallen rebellious angelic beings rebelled against God and many scholars believe because of other ancient Jewish writings that this is the place on Mount Hermon, Mount Hermon, near, which is Caesarea Philippi, which is tucked in the shadow of it. This is where these fallen angels, it's where they came together and they hatched their plan and they made a covenant to go after God's creation, humankind. The plan to deceive this, this, is, this is the place that they plan to enslave and corrupt mankind. Now, why do they hate mankind? Well, you need to understand in Genesis that mankind was made in the image of who? God. We are the only creation that we are image bearers of God himself. I want you to catch that for a second. It's one of the reasons why God and the Ten Commandments say, make no other graven images of me or any other gods. Don't, don't do it. Don't make your graven image of me. Why? Because he would say, no, no, you, you, you don't understand when you look at each other what you're seeing. You're seeing the image of me. Humanity are image bearers. So when, when, these, when these fallen angels gaze upon mankind, guess what? Here's something encouraging. They hate you. Because you're made in the image of God that they rebelled from. They hate you. Not only that, this is what we'll get into, God has given you authority over them. And they hate you. So this is so important. They set their plan to go after mankind. So it's here to believe that this is where they all agreed to wage war on God by corrupting humanity through sin. This was the place all Jews, and it was known, you can find it in all the different writings, all Jews would avoid and not dare to go to this region around Mount Hermon or Caesarea Philippi. But now Jesus says, hey boys, let's go to the place we're not supposed to go. And I like it. 
because this is Jesus. But now Jesus brings his disciples to this place that was spiritually dark and known to be teeming with demons and devils. This was known by the disciples and Jesus. Historically, it's known as the region of Bashan, just the name. But the word Bashan means the place of the serpent, which is a direct connection that we have to the event in Genesis chapter 3. In the Garden of Eden, in which the Bible says Satan came to Adam and Eve in the form of a what? Of a serpent. So some, some, there's some connections here. And that serpent tempted and seduced Adam and Eve as the first humans to sin against God. And the result of that sin was all of humankind, you and me, were corrupted and not able to fulfill God's purpose for their lives. The purpose, if you think back in Genesis, the purposes of God creating mankind, Adam and Eve, was to give them dominion over the earth, to give them dominion to rule and to reign, to walk in authority with him. And because of him, they had authority. Well, Satan hated that because he wanted to be the man. He wanted to be the one with power. And so he thought, what can I do to somehow get them to lose their power? This is what he knew. He tempted them in the form of a serpent. And so the result of that sin was all of humankind was corrupted. And they were not able to do what God has called them to do, which includes you and I. It's important we understand, though, and I want you to catch this before we get into the fun parts of this, that because all, all of mankind was corrupted through Adam's sin, he represented all of us, and he was corrupted. That this whole corruption was not about, not about us inheriting a tendency to commit sin. That, well, we've inherited a tendency, a leaning towards sin. That, you know, well, oh, we, we, we sinned. No, this was actually not that at all. What happened in the garden was about sin became a part with our DNA. It was, a, it was an internal toxin that corrupted every one of us. And we were all born with it. We were all born under it. It is a condition of sinfulness and separation from God of which none of us could free ourselves from. None of us. So this is what the serpent had done. The region Jesus brought his disciples to was also known and understood to be under, fully under the dominion of Satan. This region was known in other ancient writings. Now catch some of this language. It's very interesting as the gateway to the underworld. That's a place I don't want to go, right? Hey, let's go, let's go to the gateway of the underworld. No, no, I'm good, thanks. This is also, this area Jesus brought them to was a region where we see in Scripture where the corrupted, spiritually filthy King Jeroboam in 1 Kings 12 brought worship. He actually built a worship center to Baal, whose title was the Lord of the dead or the Lord of death. Another name for Baal was Beelzebub, which we see in the New Testament, which also means the prince or Prince Baal or Lord of the underworld. Or here's one you might be familiar with, Lord of the flies. 
Why Lord of the Flies? Because when something dies and decays, what gathers? Flies. And so death was what this area was known for. All of this is an absolute connection to what Satan has done to mankind. He has brought death. He is known to be the Lord of the grave. He's known to be the Lord of the death. He's known to be the Lord of the underworld. And the work of Satan has done this. Now, Satan probably welcomed these titles because every time they were spoken, it, 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 was, it was a badge of honor what he had done to God's creation, how he had brought death into their life, brought death into humanity, robbed them from the opportunity to actually do what they were called to do. And they could not, humankind, because of what Satan had done, could not walk in the authority he had called them to walk in. In Jesus' day, this also was a place in this region of Caesarea Philippi or Bashan or Mount Hermon. This was the place that people would gather to worship Zeus and to worship Pan or Pan. And you can visit one of these altars today. When we go to Israel, we go to one of these altars. And I kind of go with a little bit of pep in my step to stick my finger in the eyeball of Satan right there. I just enjoy it. It's fun. But you can go to one of these altars today where they would make sacrifices to these different gods and they would, they, they, they would cry out to these, these demonic gods. And all tucked away in a cave in the corner of this area in Caesarea Philippi what is a spring or was a spring that was bubbling up. You can go to it today. And they would make their sacrifices and they would throw the, the, the carcass of whatever they killed into the spring and it would bubble up. And if, if, if the blood of that sacrifice would come out down below of, of, of that spring and it would show up down below, it means that the God accepted their sacrifice. There are, there are, there are areas carved into the side of this rock, of this mountain that they would offer worship to. It was a very demonic place. This is the region in which human and child sacrifice would be offered to the fallen angels that we find in scriptures. This is the epicenter of the ancient demonic realm and the worship of those demons. And the disciples and the Jews of this time would be fully aware of the backstory of this area, fully aware. It's found in, in different second temple writings. It's found in, in all kinds of Jewish. They were aware that this area was under the dominion of Satan and a part of the strategy against mankind. They knew what it represented. Jesus didn't bring, him, bring them there accidentally. This was on purpose. So here is the place Jesus chooses to bring the disciples, not for a picnic, not for a field trip, but to make a point. And so, in the shadow of this mountain, Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who do they say? They replied, some say John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He says, no, hang on a second, fellas. What about you? You're my 12. Who do you say that I am? Simon says, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you're right. This was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. The main thing I want you to catch, I want you to catch this as we begin this series 
Because this sets the stage for this series, and this sets the stage, it's the foundation for the church. And this is one of the more debated passages in all of the Bible. And so I thought it'd be fun to talk about it today. But in verse 18, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The debate is the rock. What's the rock? What's the rock? What are you going to build it on? And so there are some interpretations of this, but I I want to just take you to a place of context today of why did Jesus bring them to this area? What was the purpose? And why this is debated, why the rock is debated, is between the Catholics and the Protestants. So there's two different interpretations of what is the rock Jesus is talking about. Interpretation one, they would say that Jesus is saying the church will be built on Peter. So Peter's the rock. This would be the belief of the Catholic Church that that, that Peter was given special authority as the first pope, and now the authority given to Peter by Jesus at this moment, in Matthew 16, it's the passage, in this passage, that that authority has been passed down to a succession of church leaders over the years. So they're the one true church. Interpretation number two is of, of what the rock is, is Protestants. Protestants would believe the church will be built on God by Jesus as the Messiah and Savior of the world. Like this one, you, you, when you look at other scriptures, you're like, no, that kind of makes sense. In 2 Samuel, um, it says that the Lord is my rock and my refuge. God is my rock. 1 Corinthians 10 also references that Jesus is our rock. So, okay, that, that makes sense. So those who believe the first interpretation would say then everybody should be Catholic. Those who believe the second one would say everybody should be Protestant. Now, I want to just say something real quick. Both are true. Both are true. No doubt God used Peter to build the church and spread the gospel. No doubt. But he also used other disciples to do the same and plant churches and install his authority. After the day of Pentecost, the authority came to all. There, there, is, there is the priesthood of all believers. And so also the second one's true. Of course the church is built on Jesus or on God, which is which is the the work of Jesus, the reality that Jesus is Messiah. He's our chief cornerstone. He holds us all together. But I want to draw your attention just for a moment to a third option that is so important for us to understand. Remember, Jesus intentionally went out of his way to this weird place that none of us would ever want to go either. But Jesus decides, hey, boys, let's go up there. So they're at Caesarea Philippi, the city nestled in the base of this mountain, Mount Hermon, where Baal was worshipped where human sacrifice was given, was offered. The region was known as the gateway of the underworld, known as the place of the serpent, known as the epicenter of the Lord of, the, Lord of death, which is all, all a connection to Satan, known as, as the Lord of the dead, known as the prince of the underworld, known as the place that, that, that the epicenter represents what plagues all humanity. Guess what? It's death. Listen, we've got a death problem. So I want you to picture for a moment his disciples, he's bringing in this place. They're a little maybe jittery and nervous. And man, what are we doing here, Jesus? We're not supposed to be here. As they, as they approach Caesarea Philippi, in the background is Mount Hermon. 
As they approach, they understand, and maybe all the stories they heard as a child about the serpent, the place of the dead, the demonic realm, the sacrifice of humans, and what Jeroboam did there. And they're, they're, they're walking into this place, and they're like, Jesus, what is going on? And they brings them to the place of ground zero of demonic strategy to bring death to all of mankind. Hey, boys, here we are. And, 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 and I, want, I need to tell you something today, fellas. That this, this mountain, this rock behind me, the place that you know is associated with the domain of Satan, this place that, that, that you, you've been intimidated of, this place that you've been told not to go to, this place that, that, that you've hey, got to be careful, there's demons all over, you've got to be careful, that's where the strategy started. You better be careful, that's where the, that's where the, the devil and all the, all the other fallen angels corrupted and went after mankind. Hey, hey boys, this place right here, this rock right here, on top of that rock, where everything kicked off against you, is exactly where I'm going to build my churches on that rock. That's the third option. The third option is the actual rock that was known as the, as the place of the strategy of, of the devil to bring forth death to all mankind. And so he says this, hey, upon that rock, this rock, I'm going to build my church. He says, Peter, you're right. I am the one who has come. I am the one who's the Messiah. But I want you to know something, fellas. I've come to undo everything the devil has brought into the world. I've come to undo everything that started on this mountain. I've come to undo the strategies of the devil over your life, over your family, over the world. I've come to build my church smack dab on top of that mountain. I'm here to pick a fight. And what I'm about to go do, my death, burial, and resurrection is going to dismantle, is going to unwind the authority of the devil, the strategies of what this area is known for. Upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of it will not prevail against it. So th th this, this was not a statement about the one true church. This was not a statement about the pope. What was Jesus saying? What was Jesus meaning? He was saying this, I will build my church on top of the gates of hell and its gates will crumble under its force. That's what Jesus was saying. That's why he goes on to say the gates of hell will not prevail against it, against what? The church. And there's always this confusion and many, it's kind of like how it's worded. This, many times there's this idea that the gates are moving forward against the church. No, it's not. Gates are defensive. Gates are trying to keep things out. Gates also in, in the Old Testament were places that the leaders of that city at the gates would make strategies on how to lead the city and how to, how to, how to do their thing. And what Jesus is saying, hey, listen, the gates that, are, that, that think they can keep us out, uh-uh, the gates are not the aggressive. Church, listen, I want you to hear me this. Here just for a second. The gates of hell, the kingdom of darkness is not the aggressor. Jesus is saying the church is the aggressor, and we're going to plow over the strategies of the devil by the, by the spirit and the gospel that we carry. That the gates will not be able to withstand what God has called us to do. 
That the gates no longer stand in intimidation or in fear against who we are. And oh my gosh, we got to run for them. No, 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 no. No, listen, as what I'm about to, what Jesus is saying, what I'm about to go do is die and be raised from the dead. I'm going to give you authority to over all darkness, over all demons, over all strategies. And the purpose of the church is to charge the gates of hell, dismantle them, and free the world that has been succumbed underneath the darkness of the devil. That includes your family, that includes our city, that includes the world. That's the purpose of the church. We are called to deliver those who had fallen victims under the strategies and the seduction of the devil to bring light, to take authority over. Listen, Jesus didn't come to this area just because they were casually walking through. He came to her for a reason, to tell his disciples and to tell you and I, listen, it's time that we poke the devil in the eyeball. It's time we pick a fight. It's time we stop running and think, oh no, the devil's after me. Lord Jesus, come back. No, no, it's time for us to stand and say, devil, I won't have any of this in my life, in my family, in my community. I'm called by God to be the church and I'm coming after you. Well, Jesus was telling these disciples, hey, hey, fellas, you see that hill right there? You see that? You see that? They're like, yeah, yeah we're scared. He goes, no, 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 we're charging that hill. It's ours. It belongs to us. We're going to undo everything that Satan has called us. Or what Satan has done to humanity. We're going to undo all of it. And you're going to do it. Friends, it's so important we understand. That as, we, as, as later on in this passage, we, we see that, that, that Jesus has given the keys of the kingdom Scripture says this, he says, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. What was he saying? He was saying, hey, listen, I'm giving you authority over the demonic realm. I'm giving it to you. Every person who, 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 who is in me, any person who is with Christ, is, that not, is, is, un, is no longer under the, under the dominion of Satan, but is under my dominion and my purpose and my call, and that is to dismantle the strategies of the enemy on the earth and, and dismantle that through the preaching of the gospel and the saving of the lost and the recovery of everything the enemy has stolen. The breaking of chains of addiction, the breaking of oppression over people's lives, the breaking of, of, this, of confusion and anxiety. And I've called the church to be the ones to do it. Yeah. Friends, listen, this is what God has called us to do. This is the call of Faith Bible Chapel. This is what he's called us to do. Satan understands we have been given the authority to overcome the strategies of the enemy. So families, you need to know something. When, when, when stuff's going kind of weird in your family, moms and dads, you have the authority to stand and say, hang on a second, Satan. I have authority over you, and I come against you in Jesus' name. Get out of my house. This house belongs to Jesus. You, you can do that. You speak with authority. You lead with authority because of what God has done in you because you are the church of Jesus Christ. 
You are the church. We are, we are the local church that called, God's called us to come together and to dismantle the, the, the strategies of the enemy. And I will, I will tell you this. So what does Satan do? He can't take that authority away from us. But you know what he can do? He can bring disunity. And that which we are called to be is Faith Bible Chapel. All of a sudden, we, we, we begin to focus on, on all these other things. As a church and, and as, as the gates of hell in our community and our families and your life. Instead of charging the gates of hell, instead of dismantling the lies of the devil, we get taken off into fighting other battles that have nothing to do with the kingdom. He brings division because the, 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 the uniting of the believers is what testifies to the world that Jesus actually is the Son of God. The uniting of believers with our resources, with our giving, with our time, with our prayers, that is what unites us to actually charge the hill, get after it, tear it down, send our children to the nations, send our children to the schools to be light. And, and as we come together, we get stronger. So the enemy says, I'm going to break them up. I'm going to bring disunity. And so he laughs. He can't remove your authority, but he can remove you from the church that, he's, that God has set you in. And then all of a sudden you're alone. You're not under a spiritual authority in a church. You're not, you're not with other believers who are there to pray for you and strengthen you. And you become separate. And he sows seeds of disunity. Listen, he doesn't have to assault us. All he has to do is cause us to be offended with somebody in the church. So he laughs hilariously that instead of us joining together and charging the gates of hell, we buy into disunity. We allow whatever it is. He said, hey, listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to divert their focus. They're going to focus on masks. That's what they're going to focus on. I'm going to separate the body of Christ. I, I want you to think about this for a minute, friends. I'm going to separate the church of Jesus Christ depending on people's opinions on masks. And I'm going to render them divided. Then they are no longer united. Then they are no longer effective. I don't even have to do anything. And the devil comes in our, in our lives and, he, and he, we, you know, we, we leave churches and we, we, leave, we leave churches that we've invested our whole lives in because they stopped the Sunday school class. I'm out of here. Forget it. And we, and we focus on things that have nothing to do with accomplishing and conquering the gates of hell. We are rendered useless over offense. We fight over opinions instead of joining together to fight the devil over our families. And we impose, I think it's this, I think it's that. Well, fine, I just forget you. And you split up. Who gives a rip? We've got a hill to charge, guys. We've got a hill to accomplish. We've got people to preach the gospel to. Who cares if someone wears a mask or doesn't? Who cares if they get a vax and doesn't? Who gives a rip? Are you charging the gates of hell? Listen, I didn't come here to lead this church 
to do some mamsy-pamsy, can we gather and, and be in a nice building. I came here to unite with, because I believe in you. I believe God's called us to be a church that does kingdom work, that loves and, and loves each other, regardless if we have different opinions about things that have no kingdom impact whatsoever anyway. I, I believe in you. I believe that we can, we can come together with our resources, with our vision, with our mission. I believe we can reach the schools. I believe your children, when they come to this church, can experience the power of God because we proclaim the truth. I believe that you can be empowered to be people who actually overcome darkness, people who are lights in the midst of darkness. And together we come and we rally and we, and we equip each other and we become anointed by the Spirit of God. And when we look, we say, we're getting after that hell. Hey, devil, listen, you might have some gates here in this city, but not while this church is here we're coming after you we're coming after the kids minds we're coming after their bodies we're coming after for the kingdom of God that's who we're called to be Jesus committed to build the church are you committed to focus on why he's building us are you committed? Are you looking for a reason to peel off and do your own thing? Are you looking for a reason? Come on, let's unite. Let's unite and dismantle the works of darkness. Let's unite to be the church that realizes upon the gates of hell, he's built us and he's called us to overcome. You are called to be hell-crashing believers. You're called to be a part of a local church that unites in one vision, one mission. Let's get after it. You are called to be a place as brothers and sisters to pray for one another, to gather that together God has a great purpose for us. Are you with me? Are you with me? our church we're in this together we've got a hill to charge let's do it let's reject the disunity let's reject all that stuff that the devil tries to come in and stir stuff up and gossip and listen let's forget that I've got one life We've got one church together. As long as we, we call this our home, by golly, we're gonna get after it. And we're gonna do it together. I wanna pray for you, and then we're just gonna sing just a portion of the song in closing. Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you that you've called us. You've called us to charge the hill. You've given us authority over every demonic strategy and realm. And today we make a commitment that this church will no longer get caught up in the affairs of the world, 
But everything we do will be for the purpose of dismantling the strategies of the devil. At every area in our city, in our nation, and in the world. Together we make a commitment that we together will charge the gates of hell and that the same spirit that is in me is the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead. That what you said that the gates of hell will not prevail means will not be able to stop us if we're united. So God, I ask you today, you would unite our hearts and you will unite our minds, that we today will reject the spirit of division. And in the name of Jesus, Satan, I bind you, I curse you. Get out of this church, get out of our minds. We're gonna follow Jesus in the name and in the power of the Holy Spirit. God, today, we thank you. You're gonna build us. You're gonna reach the broken and the hurting through us. You're gonna use us in politics. You're gonna use us in business. You're gonna use us when we walk down the street. You're gonna use us when we walk in the King Supers. You're gonna use us wherever we go. And then we're gonna gather and we're gonna sow into one another. We're gonna be equipped and we're gonna go out and we're gonna do it again. The gates of hell are coming down in Jesus' name. Amen and amen, amen. Thank you, Jesus.